Welcome to Archie and Me, an Archie Comics podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Brandon. Thanks for joining me here at Pops today, Brandon. Today, I am super excited to talk to you, Josh. We're talking about the Month of Mayhem Archie comic one-shots that have been released all month. There's three of them in total. Chilling Adventures of Salem, number one. Fear of the Funhouse, number one. And Return of Chilling Adventures and Sorcery, number one. And we're going to talk about all three. So, Brandon, how'd you enjoy the month of mayhem? I I like this idea of dedicating October to do these one-shot. They're not even all horror, necessarily, but spooky, paranormal. Yeah, and I just, I love that we're getting a lot of Archie comics this month, more so than some of the previous months. They're really going all out on the Archie horror, and I love it. And I know that you and I are both big fans of Halloween, so this was great. If you're going to do one-shots, I think Halloween is the perfect time to do it. Or any holiday, really. Plus, they, they have a lot of characters to work with within the Archie Horror universe. And so they have a lot of opportunities to tell these one-shots and these mini-stories and these short stories. So you got to see a lot of characters you don't usually read a lot of comics from. Yeah, you get to spend some time with some new friends. Like Salem. We get a whole comic this month dedicated to Salem. Yeah, in Chilling Adventures of Salem, our creative team has story by Cullen Bunn, pencils by Dan Schoening, inks by Dan Schoening and Ben Galvin, coloring by Matt Herms, and lettering by Jack Morelli. You know, we see a lot of Matt Herms and Jack Morelli over in the Archie universe. Yeah, they're like the go-to horror talents for colors and letters. Really makes all these books kind of feel cohesive. Yeah, and I, I love to see them, their names on a book. <laughs> So we open up on this issue with Salem catching a rat to eat it, I guess, which is very different than the Salem we see in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, and, and the whole comic is you know telling the narration, the sort of internal monologue of Salem, and he even kind of addresses that at the beginning. He says that, you know, he's he kind of implies that because he's fallen so far, that hunting these rats kind of gives him a little bit of a sense of power. He says that your position in the food chain is not completely out of your control, and that can be a bit cathartic to entertain his base instincts in this. I just love this opening panel with the captions and the art. It says, sometimes. And I love the sometimes. You know, that gives you kind of like a feeling of this night is different than other nights, maybe. Yeah. Right? Sometimes, especially on midnights, dark and dreary. It's great. It's a great setup for a spooky comic. And in this panel... We see the moon in the background with some beautiful oranges and this rat in a can. <laughs> Poor rat. Just screaking. Okay, is it a rat or is it a mouse? I was having a hard time telling. What do you think? What's the difference between a mouse and a rat? <laughs> Listeners of Archie and me, please send us. What is the difference between a mouse and a rat? I think it's a rat because it's bigger. That makes sense. But ultimately, Salem decides not to eat this rat because he gets distracted. He looks over and he sees mysterious man carrying a uh, a bag a satchel and he gets a feeling about him 
It's a mystery, and he also sees a bunch of lost animal posters that are uh, nailed up against the telephone pole. And I love the entrance of this sorcerer, because you kind of just see him from uh, a shadow of him. And then up above, and Salem's like, I know a sorcerer when I see one. <laughs> he would, too. So Salem is is spying on this sorcerer, and that's when you meet all these pets that, that, that sort of appear behind them. There's like a, a couple dogs and a bunny and a bird, and they're possessed. They've got these these red glowing eyes, and they attack Salem. Yeah, it's if you're going to see some possessed animals, what would be the... Uh... Least scariest and most scary possessed animal you would run into, Brandon. Oh, my gosh. I think the bigger the animal, the scarier it would be, right? The bigger the possessed animal, you know? Okay. If it was, if I had to relinquish my answers to just pets, maybe just like a big, like, possessed Doberman or, like, pit bull. Okay, what about least scariest, if you saw? I think a possessed guinea pig would be kind of cute. <laughs> I like that little possessed guinea pig. Yeah, for me, I'm you know, I'm gonna go beyond pets. Like if I saw a possessed worm, <laughs> I would not be scared. Well what would be the, the signs that the worm is possessed? Like it just wiggles a bit harder than usual? Yeah, and then it like turns up and looks at you, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and then I might be scared if I was swimming and I saw a possessed whale. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. Imagine. Imagine giant possessed whale in the middle of the ocean. Scary. Yeah, I'm sure that's what Pinocchio saw when he was out there. So Salem is kidnapped to get back on track. Salem's kidnapped and uh, he's he's taken to the lair of the sorcerer and he finds out what this sorcerer's been doing with all these missing pets. He's been capturing demons. Yes. He's doing some magic. He's taking the I guess he's taking the the these demons from hell. And he's bringing them to Earth, but but putting them into the bodies of these animals, right? He's trying to control them. And Salem, I love that Salem's like pretty sassy in this issue. Very <laughs> and sassy. I love a sassy Salem brings me back to the Sabrina the Teenage Witch TV show Salem. <laughs> yes. It was all sass, no filter. All sass. And this Salem is kind of like trying to talk to these demons is like, hey, like he's trying to like control you. Like, why are you letting him do this? Yeah, Salem's trying to convince them that they're being used, but they talk about how, like, there's there's been a pact made now, and they can't break that pact. Can't break a demon-animal pact, as we all know. Boy, I've tried. But then the sorcerer tries to put a demon in Salem, and he's like, oh, sorry, no occupancy is full in here. <laughs> I'm already somebody trapped in the body of a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, too bad. And then that kind of... I guess there's a rule of, like, you can't put two, you know, souls in one animal. I, I love when, uh, you know, it goes wrong, and then Salem starts talking, and the sorcerer's like, oh my gosh, you can talk, and there's this big reveal moment. And in the panel, Salem is just, you know, sarcastically licking his paw. And he's like, of course I can talk. I'm no mere cat. I remember as a kid, I, I was convinced, like, you know, one day my animal is just going to start talking to me. Like, my cat's just going to start talking to me, and I'm going to be like, <laughs> have to deal with that. How would you deal with it? Would you freak out? I mean, I, it, it depends on the personality of the cat. You know, I would hate to discover that this whole time they were miserable. Oh, my gosh. You went dark right away. <laughs> they might be happy and be like, thanks for taking care of well, me. Well, that's the best case scenario. Then I would love it. Then I'd be like, yeah, another friend or even more of a friend. I could talk to you now. But also there's always that part where it's like, 
they're like, I just want you to know that you've been feeding me food I hate for the last 13 years. And you're like, oh, no. I ate it begrudgingly. <laughs> I wish I had known. So at the end, there's this kind of dark moment where all the demons, like, escape out of the animals because they're like, oh, I don't want to live on as an animal, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it basically, they, they choose death rather than to continue to be subjugated in the form of these animals. And it's kind of a gnarly scene. Yeah, yeah. This, the art is wonderful throughout this issue. I need to make sure I say that for sure. You can all the possessed animals are so scary. Like a pos- I didn't think I'd be scared of a possessed parrot, or <laughs> I guess, or a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see like the the skeleton bones of like the parrot and everything on the floor after uh, you know after after the, the climax of the story and the fire and and all these demons leaving the bodies of these these animals. It's uh, it's so well rendered. I love the the panels of like Salem looking down menacingly with like the light of the fire shining up against his face. So well done. He's not like this isn't the first house I've been outside that was on fire. <laughs> and you kind of have a nice return to the beginning beat where he sees a rat. He sees the rat and this time it, it implies he's not going to let it go this time. He's not going to get distracted. Guess what? We answered our question, is it a mouse or a rat? Oh. It's a go. rat. Wow, that was that was an emotional roller coaster. We did it. I would love to see Cullen Bunn return to the horror universe. I know he did Blossom Six Six Six, which we should cover at some point when we do our a Blossoms month. That'd be great. And Cullen Bunn's really good at horror stuff. I've I've liked a lot of his comics, and I think he's he's well suited for antiheroes, sort of villains, and and horror books. So loved his run on Magneto. It was so good. So good, definitely. And now it's Gabriel Walta, right? On the art? Yeah, yeah, really well done. Beautiful. So we go from Chilling Adventures of Salem to Fear the Fun House, which is a big shift in tone. And Yeah, and it's a tonal shift. And also, you know, instead of just one big story, we get three short stories in this one. This book is geared more towards kid, and it's a lot of fun. Let me go ahead and knock out the credits here. The first story, Snack Attack by Nicole Astow, Lisette Carrera. We have Suburban Legend, story by Michael Northrop, line art by Diana Camro. Whatever Happened to Dilton, story by Magdalene Visaggio, and line art by Ryan Caskey. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. Colors by Matt Herms, and lettering by Jack Morelli. We should also mention that... Uh... Magdalene Visaggio from Richmond, Virginia, which is where you and I both live and are recording this podcast right now. Ooh, connection. Little home little hometown connection there. Yeah, like you said, this one's geared more towards kids, sort of more of an all ages book. And the art style, therefore, at least for, for most of this issue, is very playful, a little bit more cartoony than than the Salem issue. And the stories are really fun. I had I had I enjoyed this quite a bit. And like we've said with in other episodes. It's so cool that you can adapt Archie to so many different art styles and it doesn't lose that feel of being an Archie book. Yes, definitely. And I love the framing of a campfire spooky story time. Yes, everybody's sharing their, their own version of, the, of a spooky story, trying to scare everybody else the most. And Jughead, so came, Jughead came prepared with some campfire snacks. Yes, he did. Although um, he may get through them all by himself. In this first story, we meet a couple like at, at the classic makeout point. <laughs> Lover's Lane makeout point. 
It's Wilbur and Lori, and they get a text from their friend Linda. And these are all proto Archie characters. Like I'm assume this is a reference to Wilbur Wilkin, who came out before Archie by a few months. Yeah, and the the personalities of these of these characters of uh, of Lori and Linda, you definitely you know, feel like Veronica and Betty. Oh yeah, Linda is definitely Veronica. I love a good hook for a hand story. It's such a classic. And I was doing a little research into it, and it seems to go back to the 1950s. And it gained a lot of attention when they printed a letter about it in Dear Abby. And I'm just thinking about, like, do we have... I guess YouTube and TikTok and things like that are, like, the Dear Abby of today. Yeah, I can see that. Did you ever watch the the show growing up where it was... um, I can't remember the name of it, but you were presented with three stories, and you had to guess which one of these stories was true and which two were the urban legends by the end of the episode. Did you ever watch that? No, I don't know what that is. Never seen that. Oh, is it with uh, the guy from Star Trek? Yeah, and then like, it birthed the like the the meme where it's him. Like, oh, what is it? It's a video of just him. Um... People are yelling at us right now. All right, so we've done our research, and if you have any complaints, please lodge them to Brandon Clarkson. <laughs> Separate from our RJ account, go straight to Brandon Clarkson. <laughs> the video I'm thinking of is, is the Jonathan Frakes tells you you're wrong for 47 seconds. When it's just a compilation of all the times he revealed that a story was untrue. <laughs> anyway, that was a, it was beyond belief. Factor Fiction was the show, and uh, anyway, there was now, a, there was a hook handed and made escape episode. That I remember from my childhood, so I swear there was a reason for that rant. Seems like your childhood is a little foggy. It is very foggy, my childhood, yeah. It was so, oh, way too much sugar and cereal. and (laughs) The cereal made me forget. Yeah, Mountain Dew made me forget. Yeah, but, you know, what a great framing device for a short story. You know, we already get the context of Hook for Hand. Maybe if a kid reads this, it might be their first. Yeah. You know, character with a Hook for Hand. And it does something that surprised me. It did a little twist on the trope where uh, Archie and Laurie are like, oh, we, we think... You mean Wilbur and Laurie. <laughs> yes, Wilbur and Laurie. Uh, and they come to the conclusion that that uh, Linda must have <laughs> mistyped. Like, she can't possibly mean what, what she said, she, or what we think she meant. Yeah, they're like going to check on... They're like, we better go check on her. And then in the middle of the drive, they're like, ah, never mind, let's go get a milkshake instead. <laughs> yeah, she probably was like... It probably isn't what we think it is. And then it cuts to Linda scared in her room with, like, the hook-handed man trying to get in through her window. A little tap, tap, tap on the window. And she's sending the real text where she's like, help, there's a man with a hook for a hand. <laughs> that was a fun one. I like that. And then just slurping on the milkshake at the end. Classic Archie, you know, milkshake. How many milkshakes have appeared in Archie comics? What's your guess? I'm going to say at least one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, Brandon. <laughs> In the next story, Suburban Legend, we get, again, another classic horror trope of Archie's telling the story, and they hear a noise, and then they hear noises in real life. Yeah. And then a real uh, supposed monster appears, but it's ends up being innocent. You know, a lot of monsters are innocent, and so you got to get to know them a little better, you know? That's true. That's true. One thing I really enjoyed about this story is the art. I would love to see a longer, like a graphic novel, Archie graphic novel... Self-contained story with this artist. So so fun and so playful. I loved it. And I really love when they get surprised and someone's coming back from the latrine. Jughead's first thought is, save the s'mores. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they, they see the, the the silhouette and the darkness, and they're really scared. And it turns out it's just Moose coming back from the bathroom. And they get the end of Archie's story, and it's really just like a crummy joke. And uh, I'm not surprised from Archie, coming from Archie, <laughs> right? Everyone's like, womp, womps. And there's a good snurk from Jughead. <laughs> <laughs> I like that sound effect, snurk. I, I, I love a good Jughead snurk. And then Dilton has another story for us. He does. Lots of Dilton love all month long in these stories we've been talking about. I'm about it. Bring on the Dilton. The art in this last story is so striking. It really reminded me of Ian Bertram's art and uh, some of the books he's done, especially like House of Penance. Oh, that's another spooky book. Yeah, th- this style, uh, you know, Ryan uh, Caskey and then you know the, obviously the Ian Bertram style, like, it suits itself really well to spooky stories. Yeah, there's a sense of the, the muted colors, which I don't mean muted in a negative way. I think it like really serves that eerie creepiness of the story. Yeah, and, and it keeps that that sort of two-by-three panel layout throughout the whole story, which I really liked. Yeah, when Visaggio was writing this book, it was a reference to that Edward Gorey, you know, and his style of, of writing and drawing. Yeah, that alphabet book and and uh, very creepy. It's very creepy. Yeah, you should if you're interested in a creepy alphabet book, you should go check <laughs> it out because I lo- I think it's really good and interesting. But I don't know if I would give it to my kids that I don't have. But if I had them, <laughs> the, the, it's got a very macabre feel, you know, just like this comic does. This story, this final story. Now, Dilton, he gets a little obsessive in this story. Yes, yeah. He uh, is punished for something he does. He takes uh, some parts from his mom's car to do a science experiment. Let Dilton be Dilton. Let Dilton be Dilton. And he's punished. Uh, He has to clean out the garage, right? And he finds an old computer that Mm -hmm. he didn't know about. Takes it upstairs, plugs it in. Game, and a, a game loads on the computer, and it's called Artemis. And immediately, the spooky vibes come in. He becomes transfixed on this game. Yeah, he gets a little obsessive and starts to see it in real life. You get the sense that this game is is kind of haunting him. And at one point, he decides that he wants to look up to see if there's any other weird stories about how this game has affected people. And he goes to visit... A few folks who have supposedly played the game and then weird things happen. One of them is like, uh, you had these crazy bug eyed and, and is kind of, uh, you know, unable to talk really. And then another one's in a hospital bed in a coma, presumably. And then the last person he visits, it's a gravestone. So it's not boding well for Dilton and his future play in this game. And at the end, I mean, he gets sucked into the game, right? He still plays and that's like all he does. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of me playing Command & Conquer when I was nine years old. <laughs> oh, you remember the name of that and uh, <laughs> the TV show you watched. <laughs> and Madeline Visaggio does this really interesting thing where she tells the entire story through rhyming lines. So, you know, every every piece of prose on every panel is is a rhyme. And so at the end, when, when Dilton is sort of sucked into this game, he kind of proudly thinks that he'll be the one to not go crazy from the game. <laughs> And so he's thinking of himself, and he thinks that everybody he visited who, who's gone crazy, they were fools, they're not as smart as him. And the comic ends with the, this final line of, he knew in the secretest room of his heart, Dilton O'Doyle was terribly smart. As it zooms in closer and closer to the game. Yeah. What an ending. Good stuff. 
And then and then it comes back to the campfire uh, right at the end. And <laughs> of course, it has to leave us with a little bit of a creep, creepy cliffhanger. <gasps> there's footprints. There's there's footprints. And the last panel of the story is a hook hand stuck in the cabin door. Oh, I love it. I would love to see more campfire stuff. Like in summer, maybe in summer, bring back another. Oh, yeah. Fear of the Fun House, you know, or just like a summer camp adventure. It doesn't even have to be like horror based. Yeah, I agree. Th- that's my pitch. An original graphic novel with that art style that we loved about them at summer camp. And we'll write it. Call us Archie Comics. Archie Comics, call <laughs> us up. Ooh, and now we've made it to our last month of mayhem one shot. And that's the return of Chilling Adventures and Sorcery which is a sequel to last year's Chilling Adventures in Sorcery and that Madam Satan one-shot. The credits for this story. Our first story is Blood Moon Lilith, story by Elliot Rahal, line art by Vincenzo Federici. Thirst Trap, story by Casey Gilly, line art by Liana Congas. Dress to Kill, story by Cena Grace, line art by Corin Howell. And Demonic Dipsy Doodle, story by Craig Boldman, pencils by Pat and Tim Kennedy, and inks by Bob Smith, with guess what, colors by Matt Herms, but also Glenn Whitmore, and lettering by Jack Morelli. So we catch up with Madam Satan, and she is the principal of Baxter High, and she is running the school alongside of all these other demons. They're teaching class. They are running the school. It's very creepy, but also kind of fun to read about. Yeah, it, kind of like we talked about when we talked about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm like, why do these Satanists need all the structure? Like, <laughs> they need school structure. Like, I wonder what their cafeteria lunches are like. Oh, it's. I mean, it's. There's one panel right that shows it, and it looks pretty. It looks pretty gross. <laughs> but this is used kind of as a framing device for some of the other stories. The first one being uh, Dressed to Kill, which is a Veronica story where she. Buys a dress from a shop that may be haunted. The dress may be influencing her to do some horrible, horrible things. Yeah, we have Archie running into Sabrina, and he's like, some horrible things have happened. And the story unfolds. Yeah, she's like, Archie, slow down. Well, you know what's going on? And uh, it cuts to a panel of Veronica just murdering somebody. I love this idea of Veronica going vintage shopping and the clothes she finds kind of drive her mad, do you think? Well, that's the question mark, right? So she buys this dress, and she starts doing horrible things. And She starts murdering people. She starts murdering people. And taking their body parts and organs. Yeah, taking their body parts and organs. The same thrift shop where she buys the dress, she sees this heirloom necklace that she really wants, and she wants to buy it, and the shopkeeper is like, no, no, it's priceless. Like, I, I won't take money for it. <laughs> and so Veronica... What do you assume? You know, you assume, well, I guess you need a sacrifice. Yep, yep. So Veronica just assumes that that's what that she's got to pay for this necklace and body parts. Cut to her murdering Jughead while he's eating a burger. Which really bugged me. <laughs> I, know, right? I mean, you know, it was a really great panel, but I'm just always like, Jughead, no! <laughs> and then it shows... Veronica holding Jughead's organs, saying, this will be a perfect exchange. Just what every antique store owner wants. 
Then, of course, Archie and Sabrina go to the store to try to figure out what's going on. And we 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 meet the shopkeeper again. And the shopkeeper is maybe the most irresponsible shopkeeper <laughs> in the history of retail. Because she basically is like, she's like, when I said it, you know, it was priceless and I wouldn't accept cash, I meant... You know, maybe like her dad investing in my line of salt rock lamps, but all I've been getting is Veronica sending me these organs and jars. And she keeps him. She right? keeps She him. gives him behind this curtain. And what I just noticed looking at this panel, you have two panels where you have organs of Jughead and body parts of Dilton and Moose and Betty. But if you look below, there's a whole nother shelf that you yeah. can't see. <laughs> and she did not call the police. She just, she kept them and collected them. I think she's complicit. Oh, 100%. And this is, I'm glad you mentioned the panel with the jars, because I have a question for you, Josh. I'm ready. Okay. We've got Dilton's brain. Looks like she took Betty's heart. Please tell me, what is in that moose jar? What body part is that, Josh? That's his bicep. Is that his bicep? Yeah, he's so strong. She took, like, the shoulder, bicep, muscle part. Okay, all right. I just, I, for the life of me, could not figure out what that was, and I just wanted to hear you say what it was, because I could not figure it out. He's real strong. Okay. She took, you know, she took parts that were like the, you know, what represents him. For example, Betty's heart, Tilton's brain, Moose's muscles, and Jughead's stomach. Jughead's stomach. Then you get this great ending panel where she's looking in the mirror, and she's like, now I just need the perfect purse. <laughs> With that creepy smile on her face. Well, yeah. and it ends with that question of like, is she really influenced by this dress or does she just do it on her own? Yeah. I mean, we won't know, I guess, unless we get a sequel. <laughs> if she murdered Archie, what body part would she take? His know? red hair. <laughs> so she would, she would, in the sequel, you want her to scalp Archie, is what you're saying? Yeah, she would take his hair. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, and just put it on the shelf. <laughs> what do you think? His freckles? Is for, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why the idea of scalping is, is creepier to me than, like, ripping out somebody's stomach. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it is creepy for sure. All of this is pretty creepy. <laughs> we open up on Shrill Priston in the Thirst Trap with a classic texting in bed, you up. <laughs> and then the, this person's like, yeah, it's still early. And this person is asking for some thirst traps. Oh, yeah. Well, she's talking to Tony, and Tony's got game. Tony's, like, started following you. You're a really photogenic smiley face. <laughs> Is it creepy if I ask you to send me something to dream about? And then Shrill's like, of course I'm not put together, right? <laughs> Shrill's <laughs> like, of course I'm not. So she goes and she takes a shower. She puts on some makeup. She puts on some clothes, and she's ready to take some selfies to send to Tony. She then starts taking a bunch of pictures... And it gets really hot in there. And she says, boiling. It's boiling in here. She drinks a bunch of water. Tony is waiting and waiting. Has fallen asleep. And Trill keeps taking these pictures. She can't stop taking selfies. And she can't stop drinking water. <laughs> and we get these panels of her getting like more dried up and shriveled looking. By the end, she basically, she's taken and sent like what, like 86 selfies and it's completely drained her of life and she's basically a skeleton on the floor yeah and i love that you know and throughout these 86 tech text they start out like fine they're like oh look at these great pictures <laughs> and then she still sends like these zombie looking texts 
And then Tony is like, well, this is weird, but I guess I'll send selfies back. (laughs) And you see in the art, she's starting to sweat a little bit. So you're like, oh, is the same thing going to happen to Tony now? Yeah, I wonder what's happening to him, Brandon. Well, obviously, the story is about making thirsty literal. Mm. You know? This is my first time that I recall reading something with Shrill Priston, and I'd be happy to read some more. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I, I same for me. I wasn't very familiar with her, but she is, she is a uh, goth character, in the in the drama club. I think that we were talking about earlier, and I think she was introduced what in two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. Thanks to our trusty Archie Encyclopedia. Woohoo! I think Jughead would hang out with Shrill. Yeah, he. I could see him going goth. I could totally see Jughead going goth. I just want to say that I love the variety. Of these stories, I love that it's everything from hook-handed serial killers to mass murderers to being so thirsty late at night that you literally die. Yeah, which happens to me when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, water? Is that is that so when I wake up dehydrated, that's why I was just too thirsty the night before? You were too thirsty and you definitely slept with your mouth open. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> we end the story with Madam Satan and Sabrina having a face-off because she tries to like punish her and Sabrina's like, ah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and we get like a to-be-continued, basically. Yeah, so I guess um, they've been doing these Madam Satan one-shots for a few years now, so I guess we'll get another one next year and kind of continue the story there. I would be really sad not to mention this wonderful Jughead's demonic dipsy doodles at the end, <laughs> which is a reference to the comics that would show up in the digest. And you get Jughead painting this picture of this demonic custodian. <laughs> and the custodian comes out of the picture and sucks up Jughead into the vacuum <laughs> and makes him into some sort of sausage and hot dog. It's the cutest little picture of hot dog with Jughead sausage in his mouth and the custodian cleaning it up. What a story in six panels. Bravo. Absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Do have to mention that in the back we get these cover galleries for the different issues. And guess what? Francesco Francavilla always kills it. Always kills it. I love the Madam Satan with the apple. It has a skull in it. And if you look closely, there's little skulls in her eyes, too. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Thanks for bringing it up. Here comes Pop with a check. And before we go, uh, Brandon, I was wondering if you had any non-Archie-related Halloween suggestions of what people should check out. Yeah. uh, My wife and I are both big fans of Tim Burton movies. So I would recommend just a good old-fashioned Tim Burton movie marathon for Halloween. One of some of my favorites... Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd. Are you going to name all of his movies? I'm going to name all of his movies. Obviously, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Is Very, that, oh, is that a Halloween or a Christmas movie, Brandon? It has the benefit of being both. Okay, okay. No, there's, there's so many, and I think that they have that perfect blend of like horror and spooky, but also like fun. So I always return to those time and time again. Yeah, recently we unfortunately lost Angela Lansbury. And on Peacock, if you subscribe to that, they have a wonderful Halloween category. And it's just all Halloween or spooky paranormal Murder, She Wrote episodes. And I would just go check that out and just put them on and let it fly. Ultimate comfort show. Just late at night, curled up in the couch, preferably with a cat. 
putting on some murder she wrote. Nothing better. We're really looking forward to the next few weeks. Next week, we'll be reading some classic fall Archie stories. And then we'll be getting to some bite-sized Archie. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a rating or review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow Archie and me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we will see you next week. Bye. I'm no Betty or Veronica, not even Jughead. Don't you call me a Reggie, I'd rather be caught dead. Just two friends who don't know who they want to be. Let's see them figure it out. Archie and